0: Okay, if you have your Bibles this morning, I would encourage you to open them to the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, the first chapter, first chapter, Mark chapter one. We're going to be starting a little bit of a new journey this morning. Um, I'll I'll just kind of lay it out for you that I really have on my heart that we need to take our time in this Season of the church to to go through the Gospel of Mark, and I can't tell you exactly how long it's going to take us. I don't. I can't tell you how long we're going to be here, uh, how slow, how fast we're going to go. But I really felt impressed of the Lord that we need to, uh, following Jubilee and just the words that the Lord was given us to to take some time slowly to work through uh, the Gospel to work through the life of Jesus, who he is, what he's done, uh, simply just beholding him, looking to him, looking at him, uh, and seeing what he wants to teach us and do with us. And so uh, this morning, I'll set up a little bit more of just my heart for that, kind of set up the book itself and where we're going, what we're going to be doing. But just to kind of put an overview out there, we're going to be going through the Gospel of Mark. And it's going to be pretty exciting. I I say that as a preacher, you know, uh, going through the gospel of Mark. I think it's going to be pretty exciting uh, for various reasons. But how about this? Let's start in prayer. Let's start out in prayer, go to the Lord, and then we'll talk about why we want to go through Mark here. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to this moment in this place. We welcome you to be our teacher this morning. We ask for your revelation, God. We thank you, Lord, as you're lifted up, that you draw us closer to yourself. As we see Jesus clearly as the Son of God, as the one that we're following, I pray that we would uh, be drawn to, be conformed into that image. God, we want to be where you're at. We want to love on you. We want to be loved by you. We want to look like you. And so, Holy Spirit, we thank you for bringing revelation, not just for our heads, but God, thank you for speaking to our hearts this morning. Thank you for uh, beginning a work this morning that you're going to complete of transformation into the image of your dear son, Jesus. We love you. We're desperate for you. We look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, the Gospel of Mark. Mark. I wanted it was really heavy on my heart that I wanted us to, to take some time really just going through a gospel together. One of the if you're familiar with Scripture, you know there's four different things that we call the Gospels, uh, that are accounts of Jesus' life, who Jesus was, His ministry. Uh, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Uh, so each of those are different perspectives from different writers that are just highlighting focusing on who is Jesus. And these are things that uh, were pretty important in the life of the early church. You know, we uh, a lot of times can go through writings like letters from people like uh, the Apostle Paul that were two different churches that were like, hey, this is how you should be following the Lord. This is what you should do. Uh, I heard that there was this problem over here. Here's how you address it. But then there were also these things, the Gospels, that were not necessarily, hey, here's instruction on how to do church or this or that, but it was literally just, this is Jesus. This is who we are following. And it's in just simply looking at him, reading, hearing, understanding, meditating on the stories of his life, the things that he did, allowing that to build in us the faith to pursue him, to follow him, to love him, to be like him, to have his perspective, to have his way of thinking and seeing the world. So there's so much of formation that comes simply in just looking to Jesus, beholding him, seeing him. And so more than going into um, like a a certain topic uh, in a, a sermon series. A lot of times, we'll do that. We'll focus on something like, "Okay, we're going to look at faith," or "We're going to look at grace," or "Or this," or "That." More than just looking at a topic, I wanted us to do a little something different, and to simply look at Jesus's life. Look at Jesus's life, and um, I don't really want to spend a whole lot of time trying to convince you that this is a good idea. Uh maybe you want that convincing, maybe you don't, I don't know. But instead of convincing you that this is a good idea, I really just want us to jump into it, to engage in it, because I believe that it's in seeing Jesus, it's in beholding Him, that in, in looking to Him and looking at Him, that He conforms us into His image, that the Holy Spirit does this powerful, transformative work, that even just in looking at him, looking to him, that he does the thing that Jesus calls us to do. He says, hey, take up your cross, follow me. Just like I'm washing your feet, you go and do likewise. Jesus calls us constantly to be like him, to look like him, do things like he would do them. And of course, he's perfect. So there's a a certain element that, you know, you and I just aren't going to be able to achieve just in our flesh of perfection. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit does this at work. As we look to him, as we put our faith in him, He does this work of making us look, act, be more like him, uh, which is a part of his kingdom coming in earth as it is in heaven. Jesus told his disciples to pray that. So we're just going to look to Jesus. We're going to look at Jesus. So that's why I want us to go into a gospel. And as we do it, some key things that I just want to, maybe these are some things to put in the back of your mind. Just log this away. We'll pull them up later. But um, things that I want us to be mindful of as we're going into the gospel of Mark here is this call that if you were here for Jubilee Thursday night, you heard Pastor Jacob calling, he kind of called the church out. He called us out. He said, listen, this is a call right now that he believes is from the Lord for us to pursue A a call for his people, for the people of this church, to pursue God like we've never pursued him before. A call to pursuit, a call to prayer, a call to perspective, to have God's kind of way of thinking, a, a God kingdom perspective in a world that is just so focused on what can be seen and what can be felt. So to have this call to perspective, a call to power, this church needs to be a church that is walking in the power of God, walking in the miraculous, not because of our own strength, but because of what God's doing. So this call to power, and then a call to praise, to lifting Jesus up, to glorifying him, to giving him praise. And I want us to just have those things in the back of our mind. I'll probably call them up and overtly talk about them as we get into some of these stories. But as we look to Jesus, I want us to focus on what kind of power did this man have? What kind of power did this person walk in what kind of perspective did he see things from? Because they were way different even than the religious church people of his day and even all the political, all of the just you know, regular worldly people of his day. He had a very distinct perspective that he called people to that I want us to focus on. So his power, his perspective, he teaches his disciples how to pray, what to pray. And honestly, so so many of these stories, just as we look to Jesus, praise is a natural byproduct. If you want to praise God more, honestly look at Jesus and what he's done. Focus on Jesus. There's so many stories that we'll get to where Jesus does some miraculous, powerful thing, and he says, hey, don't tell anybody about this. Go just keep this hush-hush between you and me, all right? And then they go, and they start running his name through the town in a very good way of like, look what this Jesus guy did for me. So praise just kind of naturally comes out of it, even whenever Jesus said, hey, don't, don't tell anybody about this. Praise is a natural byproduct of just seeing Jesus, and what he's done and who he is. So praise is going to come out of this. We're going to see his power and what kind of power he wants to work in us, his perspective, prayer. And again, as we're seeing Jesus, there's this call to pursuit, pursuing him. As we're looking to him, this isn't just us thinking about some historical figure over on the other side of the earth 2,000 years ago. This is us looking at our King and Savior, our God who walked this earth in the flesh, and how can we follow after him even now, even here, in Boswell, Oklahoma, 2021? How can we follow this guy, Jesus? So anyway, those those five things, pursuit, prayer, power, praise, perspective, I want us to keep those in the back of our minds as we go through this, this gospel. Uh, And I'll tell you one of the reasons why I chose the Gospel of Mark for us to look through. Mark, according to most people, was the first one of these that was written down. Uh, So it's one of the first ones uh, of the Gospels that we have. And two, it's shorter. So if you're sitting here thinking, my word, we're going to go through a whole book of the Bible. How long is this going to take us? It's the shortest of of the Gospels, okay? So just think about that. And also, I, one of the things I love about this one is it is action-packed. I mean, they're all action-packed, but even the way that Mark tells his story, we'll see here. Uh, we're going to get into the first little bit. He, like, wastes no time on big, you know, long, drawn-out introductions or whatever. He's straight into the action. So if you're a person who's like, hey, get to the point, maybe you're thinking about that about me right now. <laughs> Come on. If you're like, hey, get to the point. The gospel of Mark is for you, okay? He uses the word, if you read through this, the word immediately happens so often. I don't know the actual number, but it's a lot. We'll see here. And immediately they did this, and immediately this happened. So even Mark, it sounds like the way that he was writing was like, okay, and and then very quickly this happened. So it's an action-packed, you just, we're going straight through just All of these like powerful things that Jesus has done. So for those reasons, I hope that you're inspired to join me, to sit in a little bit, uh, that we're going to go through this gospel immediately. We're going to get into the word here. Okay. And like I said, introductions, like he doesn't waste any time. Another thing that I want to mention about this gospel of Mark. So uh, Mark himself was not uh, not a disciple of Jesus. So he wasn't one of those like firsthand eyewitness people, but how his story was written, how it came to be, is he was a ministry partner, a lot of times called John Mark. He was a ministry partner of Peter, who was a disciple. And Peter was like not just one of the 12, but he was like one of the inner three of Jesus that was super close to him. Very, very important. And so Peter and John Mark, they did ministry journeys together, even after Jesus's death and ascension. And so what John Mark has to offer us is this firsthand account from uh, the apostle Peter that tells this story. So that's kind of all of the setup that I want to do. Immediately, let's get into the word. We're going to get uh, into this action pact. Okay, one, one last thing. Like I said, it just gets right into the story. I'm just going to read verses one through eight here, and then we'll kind of back up and go through a little bit. But if you go through some of the other gospels, you might see genealogies, you might see a birth story, or kind of some of the background and account. And there's reasons for those, and there's a purpose behind that, and that's a beautiful, wonderful thing. But what you'll see here in Mark is that he's like, let's get straight to the juice. Let's get right, right to it. This is like Uh, he's already an adult. He's already ready to go. Like the ministry is happening. It's starting. So immediately let's uh, get into the word here. Mark chapter one, starting in verse one, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way and wore a leather belt around his waist, and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for your word. So, like I said, John wastes. Mark. John Mark, I guess. Mark wastes no time with introductions here. His his introduction, if there is one, is this very quick line, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now listen, some of this may seem like Christianity 101 basics. That's fine. If you're here and you're a super Christian and you've been one forever, pat yourself on the back real quick. But something that has to be acknowledged, even if you've been a Christian for a hundred years, and if you're here and you're not a Christian, or if you're just thinking about, maybe I should follow this God, or if you've heard about Jesus in your life so many times, but it's kind of just filtered through, you know, granny's old stories from the past, and like, okay, what's Jesus, and what's just good old southern hospitality? I don't know. Maybe you're, you're familiar with him, maybe you're not. What this guy, Mark, is wanting to do first and foremost, is that he's wanting to say that this Jesus Christ, who this story is about, is the Son of God. He's the Son of God, and in that, He is God Himself made flesh. This Jesus that I'm talking about is not just a cool figure. He's not just a cool guy with some great philosophies. He didn't just have some great uh, moral sayings. He's not just one good voice among a number of voices. He's saying, this guy right here is the son of God. So listen up. That's kind of a wake-up call, listen up. And he's saying, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. I've heard that many times people, whenever a new emperor was born in Rome, or a new Caesar, that they would say that there's the good news. They would send out the good news that there's a new Caesar around. There's a new person for you to follow, you little peasant, off in this you know, far off village that is, happens to be under the rule of Rome. Good news, gospel proclaimed to you. We've got a new emperor that you get to follow. So, this language that he picks up is kind of familiar to them that, hey, good news, something great's happened. Well, for many of the people who would listen to that, well, good news just means, well, there's another guy that I need to pay taxes to. There's just another person to fear. There's just another person that doesn't care about me. Doesn't My life doesn't matter to him. All my life is just to, you know, give him his money, his due, whatever. Well, no, he says, here's the gospel, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Those emperors that you've heard about are no sons of God they're no gods. They're, they're not anything to be worshipped or to be feared. This is Jesus Christ, the one, the only, the Son of God. And maybe you have an awareness of that already. And if so, that's great. That's awesome. If you know that Jesus is the Son of God, then that's awesome. This is just the time to breathe that fact in again. Thank you, God. You, you are the Son of God. I've been following you for years, but it's good to be reminded of that. But if you're here and you don't know that, I guess I can't totally convince you right now. We're going to read a whole book. I'd just say come back to church for the next few weeks, and we're going to go through this book where Mark is going to try to convince you the whole rest of this gospel is to say to, uh, to support that claim. First line, he says, this is the son of God, and the whole rest of his book is going to be trying to say that in so many different ways. through so many different stories to show and to reveal this man is the son of God. This man is the one that your whole life needs to hinge on, that everything needs to revolve around. This is the man. And the story is actually going to end with a Roman centurion who was a part of the you know, emperor group that would say, this guy's the son of God, with a centurion who was just a part of killing Jesus on a cross after his death saying, surely this man was the son of God. That kind of claim coming out of someone like that's mouth is pretty powerful. If someone who's a Roman centurion who's in the process of killing Jesus on the cross can make that claim, surely, surely this guy's the son of God. Yeah, I believe that he can bring every single one of us, whether you know Jesus or not, to, to make that same claim, Jesus, you are the son of God. And I know a lot of people, their past get in the way. I've done too much stuff. God can't help me. I've lived such a bad life. I've done too many bad things. Yada, 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 the list goes on. This Roman centurion who just killed the son of God made this claim, surely this man is the son of God. There's nothing that keeps us from that. Nothing that keeps us from getting to make that claim. So the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, as it is written In Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So I've been, I know that I've spent a little bit of time this morning already talking to maybe the person who doesn't believe in Jesus yet, who hasn't made that claim, who hasn't made that declaration in their life. Well, now I want to go ahead and talk a little bit more to the person who has. So if you're, if you're sitting here today and you're saying, okay, yes, Jesus is Lord. He is the Son of God. I've been following him. Then I want to encourage you, as we're looking at this man, John the Baptist, as we look at this guy, John the Baptist, I want you to think about your own life, your own family your own business, your own place of work, your sphere of influence, the people who know you, the people who are known by you, and think about what your life is doing and how are you preparing the way for the Lord to come into that situation. Because again, Mark, he, he gets right into the story, right into business. And the very first thing that he talks about is not necessarily Jesus himself, but this one who came before Jesus that went to go and prepare a way for Jesus to come who went to go, if you go back in Isaiah, where this scripture is taken from, even some of the longer version of that is that he said, every valley is going to be made high, every mountain is going to be made low, every path is going to be made straight and flat for the coming of the Lord. And so this man, John the Baptist, who we're going to look at him a little bit more here, this man, John the Baptist, lived his life and made his life a way for God's presence to come quickly and easily to the people around him. He lived his life in that way. And I'm telling you right now, I want to say that we are all called right now to walk in that John the Baptist kind of lifestyle. You and I, we are called. God wants to do powerful things in this church. He wants to do powerful things in Boswell, Oklahoma. The, the counties, will list them, yada, yada, yada. This area, the, your families, he wants to do big and powerful things. And so the question is, is your life preparing the way for that thing to happen? I don't, want to get a, I don't want us to get confused. Any powerful thing that God does is him. It's his power. It's his might. It's his greatness at work that is doing the thing. But let's also not get confused to think that we can't do something to help prepare the way. We can't do something to help make the path straight, make somebody ready to receive what God has to do. I get myself in trouble sometimes whenever I try to think of examples on the spot. So hear me out on this. So let, let's say that you've got a coworker that is in need of God's miraculous healing. They've got some kind of ailment, some kind of thing that God as healer, that he's revealed himself. You know, we'll get into some stories of Jesus and his ability to heal. Maybe God wants to do a powerful thing. God can do it. God's absolutely able. He's, he's ready. He's equipped. But if you... If you're living your life with that coworker, gossiping behind their back, critical of them, just not being a good person to be around what, again, I hear me out here. We're, we're, we're doing this as we go. But if you're just living your life that way, then whenever the time comes for them to talk about what they need healing for or whatever, and you say, "Oh I, I serve a God who heals." Is that person actually ready to receive anything from you? Good, okay, that's great. So your life, the way you treat someone, the way you speak about people, the way you speak to people, the way you carry yourself, the kind of you know, peace or chaos that you happen to carry around with you wherever you go, that thing can be something that prepares the way for God to do something. God's just as able, just as willing to heal no matter what. But if we're living our lives, I know some, they're not here, okay? This is about other people who aren't in the room, okay? But I know some people who are very obnoxious. That's the best way to put it, just very obnoxious Christians. Very obnoxious people that like are always just like, okay, I need you to hear my opinion first. I'm the loudest, most boisterous person in the room. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. And whenever it comes time for someone that they could share something that someone could really receive from, their ears are already closed off to it. Because they're like, I'm, I'm tired of being around you. I'm tired of being in your presence. I'm not saying that we just need to, you know, be demure, you know, don't rock any boats kind of people. Jesus isn't that way either. But Think about how your presence, think about who you are, how you carry yourself, what you do, how that thing prepares the way for God to move, for someone to be receptive and open and ready to hear what God has to say or what God wants to do. So we see John the Baptist. But before we even see Jesus coming on the scene, we see John the Baptist out here making a way. John, verse four, John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness. I want to talk about the wilderness for just a second. So the wilderness is a place that I assume nobody really truly wants to be in. The wilderness is a place that's dry, that's barren, that's a wasteland, and of course, this is a, talking about a physical description. He was literally physically in the wilderness. I want to think too about like emotionally, spiritually, feeling like you're in the wilderness, in a relationship, feeling like you're in the wilderness. Like, oh man, things are feeling dry right now. Things are not as good as they once were. They're not as good as they are over there. And I want to talk about how God uses the wilderness in powerful ways. God is ready and eager and willing to work in the wilderness. I don't know what your wilderness might look like. Maybe you're in a time of flourishing right now, and that's a beautiful thing. You need to serve God in that. But I know there's plenty of people who come to church on a Sunday morning who feel like they're in the wilderness, like they ain't got no friends, like they're... Jobs are falling through, like they don't have the provision that they need, like uh, just completely, completely dry, completely hopeless, feeling like they're in a wilderness. And if you come to church like that, in that kind of wilderness, I just want to say that that's a place that God is ready to work in. He's ready to move in. Because God, even throughout scripture, used the wilderness in powerful ways, brought Moses out in the wilderness. And that was a place where he heard from God through a burning bush, through this miraculous, powerful thing, out in the wilderness, out in the middle of nowhere. He used the wilderness. God used the wilderness for 40 years for his people to form them into something that could inhabit a promised land. He couldn't bring them straight into the promised land. They weren't ready for it. They weren't Able to actually get into that thing, but for 40 years in a wilderness, God could use that thing to form them into some kind of people that could inhabit His promises and His goodness. God uses the wilderness. And the cool thing about this, again, this proclaiming the gospel, the good news of Jesus, making this known out in the wilderness is absolutely different than how the world would do it. Because again, a new Caesar is born, and the good news is proclaimed in the middle of town in the middle of everything, right there in the marketplace where everybody is, where all of the big wigs of the city are so that everybody that's important, anybody who's anybody, can hear the good news. There's a new Caesar born. Well, God's good news is proclaimed first and foremost right out there in the wilderness. He didn't go to the middle of town, didn't go into the temple of Jerusalem proclaiming, hey, uh, the kingdom of the Lord is coming. No, he went out way into the wilderness. Hey, let me go find where the losers are. Hey, let me go find where the backwoods people are in the small town, in the middle of nowhere, in the dry and barren place, and let's go start proclaiming God's kingdom there. Pretty good ministry model, huh? That's a wonderful business model. Hey, you want to start a new business? Go to the place where there's nobody, where nobody has any money, and nobody ever passes through or walks there, and go ahead and set up a business there and ask people to come and spend their money there. Don't tell them that your preacher told you to do that, okay? Don't take that to the bank because they're probably not going to give you a loan for it. That's not a great business model, but this is how God, how his kingdom starts, how it starts to happen is not right there in the middle of everything, not right there where all the cool popular people are, but way out in the wilderness with the nobodies in the middle of nowhere, God, uh, the, John the Baptist goes and starts proclaiming his message that is a message of, Baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins. Again, business model, ministry model. Maybe the first thing to talk about. It's not seeker friendly, right? To talk about repentance. Maybe we could talk about God's promises and his goodness and all this wonderful thing. Well, no, the first thing he went out and said, hey, out here in the wilderness, time to start repenting of your sin. Time to start repenting. Not just saying, oh God, I'm sorry, but stop doing that. Turn away from it. This sin that is destroying you, that's killing you, repent of that. Turn around. Change the way that you're thinking. Change the way that you're behaving and turn to God. That's his big, super cool message. Repent and the forgiveness of sins. There's that beautiful other side of the coin of the message of repentance is that whenever we repent, whenever we come to the Lord Jesus, this son of God, whenever we come to him, not only does he welcome us, he, re, he forgives our sins. Y'all, there's nobody that can forgive your sins but Jesus. If I, if I uh, have some kind of boo-boo between me and my wife, if I call her a name or something, I, I don't do that, okay? So just, this is an example. If I call her a name, if I say something bad about her, I don't need to go apologize to John for it. I'm sure he would forgive me. But that doesn't matter. Because the person I've wronged is that woman right there. Who, If you if you do something wrong to someone, who do you need forgiveness from? That person. But again, how religion would make it work is, okay, You you... Come to the church, you come to the temple, you pay this tax, you do this thing over here, and then you'll, you know, finally be forgiven, or maybe you'll, you'll at least just survive for a little bit longer. I'll make it to where God doesn't strike you with lightning for now, but make sure you come back next week. And that's how we could get in this kind of rut. But again, this repentance and the forgiveness of sins, y'all, there's nobody who can forgive your sins, even the things that I've done wrong to Callie, even the things I've done wrong to whoever. All those things, nobody can truly, ultimately forgive me all the way to the core of it because at the end of the day, I have offended and I have done wrong by God, my creator. If I've sinned against anyone, it's sin against him. Because again, how can we say that we love God whenever we curse the people who are made in God's image? So it's, it's always, if, if anything comes down to this, needing forgiveness from the source. And so he preaches this message, yes, repent, turn away from your sins, stop doing that thing, but find forgiveness of sins that can only be found in someone who truly is the Son of God, who truly is God-made flesh. Only that person can really forgive you. Only that person can cleanse you of your sins. And we'll see stories of Jesus doing just that in his ministry in powerful, powerful ways. So he comes out into the wilderness, into this barren, dry, lonely, hopeless place, and that's where the kingdom starts to be proclaimed. Where in your life is a wilderness, dry, barren, empty, hopeless place? Who in your life seems that way? What kind of people do you engage with that seem in that hopeless wilderness kind of place? That's where God wants his kingdom to start being proclaimed. That's where he wants that good news to come because those that, you know, it's, it's the irony of the kingdom that that dry, barren, hard ground is the most ready, fertile place for the kingdom of God. That's where God can get ready to move. So John appeared baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And remember, I talked about this business model. It's not a great idea. We'll check out verse five. And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Everybody, Judea, Jerusalem, they were all flocking out there ready to say, I'm sorry, I repent, I'm turning around, I confess my sins and being baptized. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. How many self-proclaimed crazy people we got in this house? (laughs) Nobody wants to raise their hands. You know, I said, I, I want to temper my example earlier of, you know, making way of the, making a path straight for the Lord to move. Again, like I said, it's not just about being a nice, agreeable, lovey-dovey kind of person. This man looked certifiably nuts. He wore camel's hair. He had a leather belt. He was eating locusts, wild honey. The man was unhinged. But he had a word from the Lord, and he was making a path straight. Even in that, calling people out, shaking things out of a normal rhythm or routine in the likeness of a prophet of the Old Testament. You know, it's talking about prophecy here, but even that, that hair vest and the leather belt, it's hearkening back to the prophet Elijah, even. That he's just like this prophet out in the wilderness, out in the middle of nowhere, saying, Repent. Repent of your sins. I'm making straight the path of the Lord. But again, what he knew here, verse 7, he preached saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. The one coming after me is bigger, more powerful, mightier than me. I can't, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. And people were flocking to to John. People, they wanted to come see this crazy guy in the desert. They wanted to come. They were beckoned by the Holy Spirit. Whatever this guy's doing, I need to go out there. I need to confess my sins. I need to repent. I need to be baptized. And I need to seek forgiveness of my sins. But John says, there's someone coming after me. Somebody who's coming right after me who's bigger, who's mightier, who's more powerful I'm just this uh, person proclaiming it early. I'm just getting the news out. He's coming though. Again, I want us to think about what does my life look like if I consider John the Baptist preparing the way? Who is coming after you? If if you walk into a room, whenever you walk into your place of business, who is it that's coming there with you? What presence is, is there with you? Whenever you're speaking to your family members, whenever you're talking to your children or your brothers and sisters or your mom and dad, whenever you're talking with them, whose presence is coming there with you? What presence are you bringing to that place? Again, we, we need to be preparing the way, preparing the way, but also there's this faith in John's mind that there's one who's coming with me, one who's coming after me, who's mighty, who's powerful, who's ready to do this, this sin forgiving that I'm talking about. He's the one who's coming. Are we confident that God's presence is going with us? Are you confident that the one who is right alongside with you is the God of the universe who forgives sins, who heals the sick, who loves the unlovable, who's powerful, who's strong, who's able? Do you believe that that's the one who's with you? John seemed pretty sure of it. He said, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with, with the Holy Spirit. You've come out here to the Jordan River. You followed this guy with camel hair and a leather belt and probably didn't get a haircut. You followed me out here to the river to get baptized. Something, someone is calling you here. And yes, I'm calling you to repentance. I'm saying that there's a ministry of forgiveness of sins. But there's somebody coming after me. This... Son of God, who this book is written about, the Son of God, who's not just going to clean you with water. You know, this baptism, it was like a, it was like a cleansing ceremony. It was like a washing ceremony. Because again, if you repent of your sins, it's this act that shows, okay, I've been washed. I've been cleaned of this sin, and I can walk again in uh, forgiveness and walk towards God but he said, I, okay, I've done something that can wash your body a little bit. I can clean you up some. But the one who's coming after me is going to dunk you in something that this water can't touch. Something, he's going to baptize you in the very spirit of God this thing that people had heard about that, oh yeah, God used the prophets, God used all these powerful men from the Old Testament and these women who did powerful and awesome things uh, in our scriptures. He used them, but John is saying, you, the ordinary person, you who just came in off of drugs, you who just came in and you don't know one thing about the Bible, you who just came out here and were beckoned to nothing else other than knowing I am called by God to come do this, you, that person, Jesus, who's coming after me is going to baptize you in the very spirit of God that you've seen all of these powerful things from people in the past. He's gonna baptize you in that. He's gonna uh, submerge you in that. He's gonna make your whole life surrounded by his very life-giving spirit. We got some pretty powerful and big claims of this person, Jesus, that we're following. And this is just the, the start. This is just the beginning. So things that I want you to think about from this is just like John the Baptist, what are you preparing the way for in your life? The way that you're living your life, the way that you're talking, the way that you're treating the people around you, what are you preparing the way for? Are you making a path straight and clean and clear for God's movement and for people to receive from him? Or are you damning up the possibilities of what God could do in the people around you? How are you preparing away? way? But then too, I just want us to think about who this Jesus is. This son of God, who is so powerful that his ability is to baptize us in the very spirit and power of the most high God. Not just in something that, okay, thank God, I, I said I'm sorry, he forgave me, good. No, baptize me, put me under and submerge me in the power of God, the spirit of God. If Jesus can do that, we're going somewhere. If Jesus really can do that, like John said, this is what he's going to do. If Jesus can do that, then we've got a community that needs to be ready for the kingdom to come. If Jesus can do that, then we've got to get ready for what he wants to do in our lives. If he can submerge us in the spirit of God, He can do some really powerful things with us. So this is what I want. I want us to to look to Jesus, to focus on Jesus. This is just the beginning here. We're going to see all kinds of powerful things from this man, the Son of God. And I want us to be encouraged, whether we've called upon the name of Jesus already or not, to just be amazed, inspired to pursue him more, to see things from his perspective, to walk in his power, to appreciate him, to praise him, to love him.